0: Welcome to the Why on Earth Community Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron William Perry, and today we're visiting with Finian Makepeace. Hey, Finian. How are you? It's good to see you again. Likewise. I'm doing great. How are you doing?
1: Really good. Uh, Bearing with everything, I guess, is all we can all do, but I'm doing good, yeah.
0: Excellent. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I know it's a very busy time for you, and we're going to be talking about one of the uh, primary reasons it's so busy for you right now so uh, we'll we'll jump right into that here in a few minutes after I have an opportunity to introduce you Finian makepeace is the co-founder policy director and lead educator of kiss the ground and a renowned presenter media creator and thought leader in the field of regenerative agriculture and soil health his dedication to kiss the grounds mission of inspiring participation in global regeneration, starting with soil, has motivated him to develop training programs, workshops, and talks designed to empower people around the world to become confident advocates for this growing movement. And uh, Finian, uh, of course, many of our friends and colleagues are aware that you and your team recently uh, published the uh, new Kiss the Ground movie, and we'll be talking about that a bit. And uh, it's a very exciting resource. I actually watched it last night with a couple of our colleagues out this way. And uh, let's just dive right in. If if you could tell us a bit about why this movie is having such tremendous impact in these times and what what the vision is for the uh, impact of the movie.
1: Yeah, great great question. Uh, first, I, I'd love to just start off by sharing, and this connects to the impact of the movie, and that's why I would answer this way, is uh, we recently, this summer, changed our mission. So, in, in my bio, I got to make sure that's changed, but our, our mission is awakening people to the possibilities of regeneration. Mm. And so, I think what, what I've seen is what's coming out of the movie is the opportunity. Not necessarily the the hope, uh, as Ron Finley would like to say. Don't let's not talk about hope. Let's talk about opportunity, and that's what I feel like this film is doing: is sharing that we have an opportunity. That there's actually a way forward, a pragmatic way that humanity can be stewards of the earth versus the destructive force we've been, uh, and that you know, we can see that there is an anchor there, a possibility that we can actually access. So when our mission gets tied to the movie, this awakening from a different perspective that I would say the world has been kind of stuck in, which which I often refer to as sustainability think, what the film is doing is providing access to regenerative think, people being able to see the future in a regenerative context or lens that, honestly, a lot of indigenous cultures have had access to or had already been accustomed to, but many people around the world have kind of been blocked into this way of thinking of sustainability as the the option. But the point is, is we're too far gone for sustainability to work. And the, the most hopeful thing I've seen from the movie is people around the world, from scientists to business leaders to university students, our community leaders saying, wow, I didn't know that humans could be involved in this regenerative thing. I didn't know we had a place to play in it. And that's what really gives me hope is that we can have more people get lit up like you and I are, Aaron, about what's possible is about seeing that possibility as real.
0: Yeah, that's, it's really beautiful and uh, such a succinct way of articulating it. And Finian, I'm wondering, you know, if you would, just for those who aren't yet familiar with Kiss the Ground as an organization or the movie, can you uh, encapsulate for us, what's the big deal about soil and, and why does that matter in the context of regeneration?
1: Yeah, I think, I think soil, first off, I think soil is such, a, in, such an important thing to grasp for humanity yeah. to really see the regenerative future why i say that is it goes back to kind of the name of our organization kiss the ground is really imploring that we have this reverence for the substance that really makes life on earth possible i mean it really is where it all comes from and so when we when we start to unlock what's possible with soil how soil is formed what makes the difference between dirt and soil this this frame of thinking starts to shift and you start to see how crazy it's been of how humans have disregarded and perpetually disregarded more and more the soil that's beneath our feet if you look at cultures ancient cultures indigenous cultures having profound reverence and connection to the soil the mother the thing that gives them life the things that protects them Uh, gives them access to food, fertility and everything. We've been drifting away from that faster and faster as humanity. So reconnecting to that is is first and foremost. Second, I'll I'll just pull up a plant here, my little example. Second is really having people grasp where life comes from. A lot of us understand that plants breathe out oxygen so that we can breathe. We learned that in, in middle school, but not enough of us or even most scientists, or most textbooks, understand the whole fundamental process of how soil, healthy soil, is built. So I'm showing a plant, if you're just listening to this, I'm showing Aaron a plant here in my hand, but what I'm, I'm showing is that carbon dioxide that's in the atmosphere gets pulled into the plant's leaves in their stomata, and the sun energy the plant uses in photosynthesis to break apart the carbon, connect it with oxygen and hydrogen, to create glucose molecules that it then dilutes in the water that the plant had pulled up from the ground. It creates the sugar water and it pumps that through its body and it uses those carbon molecules to build the entire plant, right? That's kind of like taking us back to seventh, eighth, ninth grade. What we didn't know, what scientists weren't aware of is this big phenomenon called how much of those liquid sugars... The plant is literally dripping or leaking or exuding out of their roots into the soil. Why? To feed microbes. Why would they want to feed the microbes in the soil? Because the microbes in the soil use their enzymes and different processes to unlock nutrients in the soil and make that, those nutrients available for the plant to uptake in their roots. Something that's happening there, Aaron, what's so crucial, why I'm talking about this is those organisms... <laughs> are made out of carbon because they ate the carbon that the plant fed them. So they're built of carbon. And it just so happens that they evolved to make gluey substances made of carbon, either the outside protection of, of mycorrhizal fungi called glomalin, this sticky protein carbon. These sticky substances are made of carbon and bond our soil particles together, building aggregated healthy soil. So this process of plants pump it in, microorganisms turn it into these glues and store it as long-term stable carbon is what we really didn't understand or recognize in soil science until, you know, somewhere around 1996 in some of these cases. So this is a huge opportunity for humanity to grasp not just what our ancestors kind of knew intrinsically because of how they farmed and placed specific Uh, practices but now we can say look the science has shown us how soil is actually forming so we can help nature to rebuild soil faster than we ever thought possible and it doesn't require a bunch of crazy chemical inputs we can just help nature do what it does better while we're farming that's regenerative agriculture Aaron that's why it's such an exciting phenomenon is because we're saying we can do agriculture We can farm and produce even more food and cost the farmers less money for inputs while we're pumping carbon and life-giving substances into the ground that hold more water, make more nutrients available for the plants, make healthier plants, healthier societies, et cetera, et cetera. So it's really this root of making the world abundant again comes with humans helping build soil back.
0: I love the slogan, making the world abundant, again, that's excellent. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm struck that in some of my research over the years, I came across a statement from the Vedas, the uh, ancient uh, texts from uh, Asia, uh, written about 3,500 years ago saying that steward this soil, and it will give you life, shelter, food, beauty, etc., uh, disregard it, and it will die and it take you with it, and this was a message to humanity. Uh, And of course, in our etymological roots, our word human even comes from a uh, root connected to the word humus in the Latin meaning soil. We find the same thing in the Hebrew in the book of Genesis with Adam being created from Adama, the soil, the clay. So this this connection, it runs so deep. And uh, what I love about the movie is you guys do a great job of expressing why this is so important, especially in terms of carbon sequestration as it relates to stabilizing climate, uh, not to mention all of these other benefits you just ran through with uh, increased uh, nutrition density of food and so on. But that there's also this uh, sort of intangible, in a way, quality of life that comes from the psycho-spiritual nourishment when we cultivate a direct relationship of stewardship with the soil. It comes through loud and clear in these wonderful people that are featured in in the movie. Uh, m- one of my favorites being uh, Gabe Brown, the rancher. Mm, yeah. And you guys did such a wonderful job of capturing how that uh that spiritually meaningful, scientifically grounded, economically pragmatic thing that this guy's doing on several thousand acres uh works and how he's sharing that with others in the you know breadbasket region of our of our country. And I was hoping, could you, for our audience who haven 't yet seen the movie, could you tell us a bit about gabe brown how did how did you guys connect with him and and how did you manage to so eloquently capture his journey toward regeneration
1: well first off gabe is a is a major beacon in this movement and and one of the most generous giving uh, people out there to this movement he 's been just steadfast and the dude hardly sleeps and will answer emails from random people at three in the morning. It's just incredibly gifted. And he's also really gifted at at storytelling and sharing his message. And, and, And that's why him being in the film was so crucial because he speaks to so many farmers who over the last 20, 30 years have been in this perpetual degradation chemical bandwagon. That has been honestly hurting their bottom line and making it so that each year that they're looking at, it's not exciting for them. It's not exciting for their kids. Their kids are not going to go to the farming. So, he's really representing where a lot of U.S. farmers are, especially right now. Uh, and in the film, he's talking about how he went through uh, years of kind of you know natural disasters, hailstorms, drought, etc., that kind of set him up to say, you know what, there's got to be a better way then counting on all these chemicals, counting on bailouts from the government, counting on uh, subsidies or counting on uh, loans that are just based on me doing more chemical agriculture. So it kind of pushed him into, I have to find another way. And that's good news and bad news, Aaron, is that our farmers are struggling. They're going in 4% debt every year as an added agriculture debt average in the U.S. So the the bad news, of course, is we're dealing with the fragility of our entire landscape and the farmers that subsequently that have to deal with that, and they're at the front lines, and it's sad, and their suicide rates are alarming. the The only silver lining there is that people are ready for a change, and that's where regenerative agriculture isn't telling someone they have to uh, uh, give up everything that they've ever known or been doing, but it's giving them tools to really rebuild their farms, find pride and. A reason for getting back into their farming and, find, and, and, and know that there's a trajectory that they can go where they're reducing their input costs significantly in the first couple of years to be able to be more prosperous. Farmers, if people listening, I don't know how familiar they are with large-scale farming, but the input costs are ridiculous. I don't know how else to say it, but you look at the profit margins that you should expect off soybeans and they're all negated from your input cost because of how much our farmers are dealing with degraded land and perpetually the the companies that are selling the chemicals and the seeds they are making a lot. And, uh, the farmers are suffering right now. So regenerative agriculture offers that. And I think that's what Gabe speaks to is an opportunity for farmers to actually have a way to do this. that not about them, you know, going back to some time thousands of years ago, but it's about biomimicry and it's about harnessing the power of nature. Uh, that so many as you mentioned so many indigenous cultures warned us of and and a messenger like Gabe is essential really to get through to those those farmers who are struggling
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I was struck uh, when you all shared some of the data in the movie that now that he has established a Diversified and well-functioning uh, alternative regenerative system he's seeing net profits to the tune of a hundred dollars an acre whereas many of his conventional colleagues, even with federal subsidies, right? And we as a nation are subsidizing agriculture to the tune of some $25 billion a year, if I'm remembering the figure correctly. Well, he without- I'm trying the,
1: to remember it too right now. Yeah, so yeah, this, I think I'll go with you on that, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, we'll, I'll double check maybe, but uh, without those same subsidies, he's making two orders of magnitude more in profit per acre. That's compelling.
1: Yeah, and that's where we have to. And you know, the Soil Health Academy, who Gabe uh, Brown, Ray Archuleta, uh, and and a few others are our favorite all-star farmer trainers. Dr. Alan Williams, uh, they just launched their new course. Well, they launched the enrollment period, and you can go through kisstheground.com to to enroll in Regen Ag 101. Is um, basic course that is required before you take their more advanced courses or in-person trainings. But this is scaling access, Aaron, to really unbelievably tried and true information that these guys are giving to their students. They're some of the most sought after teachers in regenerative agriculture. And so now we're working with them on the launch of this course that they have. And what this provides, first and foremost, is saying, we're not pretending that this is not the most critical thing is, is economics. And that's where why I, I really appreciate the soil health Academy is they're not doing this for farmers for climate change. They're doing this for farmers for the farmer sake. And then all of these other things that come with this are, are the big picture play. But first and foremost is a farmer able to do this and reduce their inputs by a hundred thousand dollars in their first year that's a win. You know, and that's the stuff I I work with them on talking about to policymakers be like, look, our farmers are going in debt, or we could go to have them go the other way and have radical changes in their input cost. Even if their yields aren't going up the first year or two, their input costs can drop significantly. And that's, that's money in their pocket in in the order of magnitude of hundreds of thousands of dollars, second or first year.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's so, uh, it's so compelling. And you mentioned Ray Archuleta, and I was, I was struck by his presence in uh, some of the footage of him speaking to different gatherings of farmers throughout what looked like the the Midwest. And of course, he's an agronomist, he's with the NRCS, the uh, Natural Resource Conservation Service, an outgrowth of some of uh, President FDR's policies to deal with the uh, Great Dust Bowl uh, Mm -hmm. catastrophe that we, we saw early in the 20th century. And uh, boy, I loved hearing from Ray who, you know, seems in the movie like a real salt of the earth guy and a real uh, committed guy that what he's doing, he considers to be his his life mission. And yeah. you can kind of feel that coming right through the, the screen watching the documentary.
1: Yeah, he, is, he was my top choice to get in the film. I said, <sighs> if we're gonna make this film, we have to have Ray Archuleta because he represents such a critical component of this movement. What I mean by that is he's no longer with the NRCS now, but he's with the Soil Health Academy. And um, his understanding, his context of going to school for agriculture and soil, going into the NRCS for 25 years, and just for the listeners out there, the NRCS used to be called the Soil Conservation Service and then changed their name uh, shortly after in the, in the 70s or something. But what Ray has is essentially a taste of the global um, mechanical mind that has been perpetuated, unfortunately, by our university systems. And I'm not trying to say our university systems are bad or our governments are bad. Most people have been trying their best to to help. Uh, I would just give benefit of the doubt. But when we talk about an experience like his. My favorite quote from him, Aaron, says, we didn't know how the soil worked. Yeah. Why that's so crucial? Someone who went to school for ag and soil, 25 years in the NRCS, that's a soil agent, field agent dealing with soil. We didn't know how the soil worked. What that says in general is we all got to take a pause. All these brilliant scientists, all these people working in this field all got to take a pause and be like, wait a minute. What do we not know or understand? Admit we're at the tip of the iceberg of understanding soil and its complexities and how it works and how it functions and the billions upon billions of microorganisms that are making it function at its highest rate, making it uh, give nutrients to plants, making it hold 20 times its weight in water every, every piece of humus or, or every piece of uh, aggregated soil. Those phenomenons that nature evolved over millions and billions of years or 500 million years, arguably, on land, this is something that needs deep check-in, you know? And this is where we have to take some of our hubris around our, we know this, science says this, be like, look, science has been awesome, but scientists fail to recognize how um, siloed their thinking has been. And so you deal with a phenomenon. Why I come back to that. We didn't know how the soil worked. Let's take that as an opportunity. And this is what I mean by that is governor of California, for example, when I shared with him, like, look, Al Gore didn't know how this worked. Uh, uh, You know, DiCaprio, these famous environmentalists didn't have any idea about this amazing potential, how it actually functioned. And now Ray is saying, Oh yeah, NRCS didn't even really know how it worked. And yeah, you can go back to textbook, you can go back to history books that are saying like, look, you got to take care of the soil. You got to look for organic matter. You got to do this. Those are fundamentals that have been kind of systematically pushed out over the last 70 to 100 years. And we now have even more science and data around understanding the biology, what's happening there. So we can marry the indigenous place-based knowledge, the pioneering holistic thinking and the cutting edge science. And that's regenerative agriculture to me is basically saying, look, it's not going to be a one thing. We, we need the cutting edge science. We need the amazing holistic management planning because we need to be able to immediately start changing management plans for all the grazing lands, all the working lands around the world. And we need indigenous place-based knowledge. Otherwise we're going to be missing so many critical components to how those ecosystems naturally evolved or, or used to exist. In their best selves. So there's so much to know. And why I just came back to the Ray thing is like, this is a chance for our uh, our whole community of of leading thinkers to look and say, hey, there's a new possibility here. It's called regeneration, and it's kind of not something we've been paying attention to. That's an opportunity for everyone. I don't care how many books you've written. It's an opportunity for everyone. I didn't know. You know.
0: Yeah. A lot of people didn't know. It's beautiful. Let me uh, ask you to repeat these three things you said so eloquently. So I've got indigenous place-based knowledge, cutting-edge science, and then the one in the middle I didn't quite uh, jot down. Uh,
1: Holistic planning uh, or holistic management. What that means is when you're taking where we are now, ideally we could have a million buffalo in the middle of the country tomorrow, but we don't. So we have cows and we have land and they're interrupted by highways and suburban sprawl. What are we going to do? What's our context? And then how are we holistically planning with inside of our current context? And the fact that there's way more humans now than there ever were, we have to take that context and be able to plan holistically from there based on climate, based on how much it rains, based on, you know, what's naturally supposed to be there uh, perennial, you know, king grasses, or is it supposed to be trees? Like what is the natural phenomenon that we're actually helping to occur Versus trying to force feed something that, you know, trees aren't supposed to be there. Sorry, buddy, they're all going to die no matter what you do. You know, like that's kind of like Mm -hmm. stop the black and white. Let's take context and holistic management. So that's where I think holistic management gets overlooked sometimes because people will be like, well, isn't that just indigenous knowledge? And you're like, no, because it's more, essentially it's more adaptive because it's not just place-based and it's not just based on what, what generations and generations of people discovered how to manage something. It's about, even if someone was, Doing it holistically in an in a, in a, uh, ancient knowledge or indigenous knowledge thing, that's great, but holistic management can happen anywhere, anytime, right now. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Great. Well, and it, it reminds me of one of the other things I really appreciate how you guys handle uh, in the movie. Not only is it mentioned that, you know, carbon's not bad, and of course, folks in the Uh, really concerned about the climate crisis know that it's the loading of carbon in the in the atmosphere that's causing so much trouble. But it's not that it's carbon. Carbon is not bad per se by itself. Of course, it's the building block for life. Similarly, you guys draw the distinction uh, between cows, cattle, ruminants in a uh, industrial feedlot environment versus in a holistic managed uh, environment out on the uh, rangelands. And I think it's particularly notable that given, you know, kiss the grounds uh, roots in the, you know, Los Angeles, California area, one of the places where, where the vegan movement has been very strong. We know that uh, plant heavy diets and plant-based diets in general are going to be good for our health and good for the planet. However, uh, this is another one of these areas where it's, it's not black and white and I really appreciate how you guys, Uh, treated the discussion regarding cows. And would you mind sort of summarizing that for our audience?
1: Yeah, it's such a great question. Because again, I come from the perspective, I try to at least, that most people who are involved in something are doing it out of a a place of, of wanting good, of feeling like there's something wrong going on. You know, even people who I disagree with on the other side of the political spectrum, it's harder sometimes with that. But like, They're coming from a place of something's wrong. I'm trying to help fix it, especially the passionate ones, right? So when we're talking about vegans and people who are in that, like Ryland, the other co-founder of Kiss the Grounds, big vegan family, like they're all pushing that stuff. It's been great. And it's totally awesome. And you have to commend it. You have to commend people taking that journey. Now, what the only distinction we're trying to make here is that it's... It's basically like, if those were your only choices, if it was KFO beef, then that's the worst correct. of KFO beef. Concentrated
0: animal feeding.
1: Feeding operations. Yeah, pardon me. Thank you for that. Um, feed, feed versus lots Yeah, either. feed, feed lots, Then you're saying, okay, that's uh, – or let's take veal, for example, even worse, right? Like just straight up from when the calf goes in. That's like terrible because there's never any life on grass. It's just in a pen veal, right? and then you say, okay, okay, the vegan option's better here. Now here, just take me down this road for a second. Most people aren't aware that cows, even if they go to KFOS, even if they go to a feedlot, the first two thirds of their life are on grass. Yeah. All cows start with their moms on grass, suckling the, their breasts and walking around grass. Now, most of that grazing land is being overgrazed, meaning it's, eaten down too far. Cows are able to do whatever they want. It's not planned grazing. They're not bunched together. So across the world, we've been losing vast areas of land due to cows and other ruminants overgrazing and creating deserts. That's been happening for 10,000 years. The Middle East used to be fertile. It wasn't just the cutting of trees. It wasn't just plowing. It was also overgrazing. Northern Africa, the Middle East, these places just completely devastated by overgrazing tendencies you get erosion, et cetera, and then it spirals out of control. So arguably, ruminants and the management of them in most places around the world has been degenerative, especially brittle environments, meaning places where half the year or more, it's very little moisture in the air. It doesn't rain. That's a brittle environment. You know, you can overgraze in England. You get grass all year round. It doesn't look like anything wrong happened because it's a very forgiving, regenerative environment because it's basically trickling water perfectly to keep everything moist for a long time. So you can get away with a lot of bad grazing there. But when we look around the rest of the world, overgrazing has been a problem. So when we look at cows, it's pretty logical that they got a bad rap. Right now, they're either spending a third of their life in CAFOs, which are extremely detrimental from the feed that goes into them being degeneratively grown to the the actual uh, place itself, to the inhumane nature of it all the water, all of the fuel, the whole thing is just catastrophic. And then you say, oh, the grazing is also causing degeneration. And now we're taking out rainforest to get more land to graze and then, or feed them with, with soy and corn. So the whole thing is a juggernaut of terrible in our production right now. The, the issue is, is saying, wait a minute, if we throw the baby out with the bathwater, we're dealing with degraded land all over the world. And, In certain areas where grasslands are supposed to be prevalent, like I mentioned, like perennial grassland systems are supposed to be the the naturally occurring uh, anchor species there, those areas are heavily degraded. If you look at the bird's eye view and you see how much grass, it's like 20, 10, 15% grass cover on a lot of these grasslands around the world because they're degrading either from overgrazing or overrest. Too much science to get into the overresting. We don't have time right now. But the point is you can desertify land just by not having any animals on it. That's why conservation doesn't always work in brittle environments. So we need to put some kind of thing in those landscapes to regenerate it. What is the best thing to put in those landscapes to regenerate it? Turns out it's herded herbivores that are helping to regenerate that land. So it kind of is a hard thing to comprehend, but that's what's crazy is the land that's been degraded or is starting to be degraded actually needs animals on it to regenerate it. So if we'd say cows are bad, we've thrown everything out. That's a bit too much, but basically for anyone out there, it's not what, it's how. Yeah. If I showed you carrot production in the central Valley of California, large scale organic carrot production, and you understood soil science, you'd be like, my God, this is the worst thing we could ever do to our soil. Cause it's literally creating desert and terrible circumstances runoff of tons of soil because production of carrots at a large scale is really hard. If you do it conventionally, even if you're doing it organically yeah. and that's where people saying, Oh, is it better to have backyard chickens? Cause I live in the country and I have backyard chickens for my calorie intake or this bag of carrots that's organic from California, which one's better for the environment? Mm-hmm. Calorie per calorie. That's where you start to have to look at, it's not what, it's how. It's Absolutely. not what, it's how. We have to start thinking of not just the black and white, that all things vegan are good, or all things vegetarian, it's like, what is the farming and how are we incentivizing regenerative agriculture on all fronts? That was really long winded, so thanks for bearing with me on that. <laughs>
0: that was perfect, I really appreciate it. In fact, I use that same example of not all carrots uh, being equal in when I uh, wrote Why on Earth and yeah, yeah. got into this topic, and it's, it's a really important one for people to grasp. And I, you know, I want to um, remind folks that this is the Why on Earth Community Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron William Perry, and today we're visiting with Finian Makepeace, one of the co-founders of Kiss the Ground and producers of Kiss the Ground, the movie. And uh, we would love to thank some of our sponsors who are making our podcast series possible, including this episode today. And they include Earth Coast Productions, the Lidge Family Foundation, Alpine Botanicals, Purium, Earth Hero, Vera Herbals, Growing Spaces, Soil Works, Earth Water Press, 1% for the Planet, Dr. Bronner's, and Weile Waters. Uh, And of course, our uh, great network of ambassadors and folks engaged with the Energy community who have Joined our monthly giving program. And if you haven't joined and you'd like to, you can go to whyenearth.org, click on the donate button, and set up whatever amount you'd like to give every month. And uh, for those who want to give at certain levels, you'll uh, also get shipments of the regeneratively grown hemp infused uh, Waylay Waters aromatherapy soaking salts if, if you would like to, um, as part of our regenerative economic uh, win win relationship for health and well being. And I also want to mention that you can connect with uh, the work of Finian and his and his team at Kiss the Ground. Going to uh, kisstheground.com on Facebook, it's at Kiss the Ground CA. Twitter is also at Kiss the Ground CA. Instagram is at Kiss the Ground. And then uh, to get right to the movie, you can go directly to kissthegroundmovie.com. We'll put all this in the show notes for you as well. And uh, yeah, you know that example of of the carrots. Um, was one, as I mentioned, that I put into the book, Finian. And I think it's also really important to share with folks, you know, kind of what does this all mean for us in our day-to-day lives? And one of the things we can do if we, if we do purchase something like beef uh, to look for those uh, regeneratively raised and grown beef products, 100% grass-fed, and there's an emerging movement, including the Regenerative Organic Certification that many of the leading organizations in this effort uh, have helped launch together as a collaborative process and project. And that includes the folks at Dr. Bronner's and Patagonia and the Rodale Institute, who of course was featured in the movie. And so keep an eye out for more and more products, getting that regenerative organic certification credential. And, uh, and if you're going to be buying uh, meat and animal products, do your best to get those that are raised in a way that is good for our planet and good for our own health and wellness. And, uh, you if know, you Finian, go, I, really, I, uh, quick,
1: really quick on that, Aaron, uh, uh just before I forget, yeah. uh, we worked at the regeneration international. They were putting together a map that we ended up helping just the ending part of it. But there's now a map. If you go to kiss the and to your, our find your path tool, which is a tool to find your path in the movement, get access to what you should do. But on that page is also a link to this regen farm map tool. So you can start to access food from uh, regenerative farms in your area. You can literally look up and say, Oh, I want eggs or whatever and who's doing it next to me. And you can start to find uh, these, you know, quasi vetted. It's been, it's been a process, but you know, it's it's vetted. And we encourage you to do more vetting uh, of these farms to start getting direct access. And that's where you can help farmers in this process who are, Needing to find the customer base who is looking for regenerative anyway. So check that out at, at Kiss the Ground. Yeah, that's great.
0: That. I'll, uh, I'll look to get the link straight to the map into our show notes as well. Thank great. you for that. That's a great resource. And, um, you know, I, Fidian, I know before we started recording, you mentioned that uh, you're at, I understand, maybe your home office and one of your. Uh, youngster children is uh, taking an afternoon nap, your wife's with a client. I love this sort of real life aspect of what's happening right now. And so we we know that uh, it's it, your daughter, right? Is that who's sleeping?
1: Yeah, she, she she usually sleeps till four, but we'll see if that so happens. So yeah.
0: at, at any moment here, we might get the uh, pleasant interruption of a young child waking from a nap, uh, just a bit of a forewarning, but also a way to indicate that so much of this work is motivated by an understanding that we're making decisions now that are affecting future generations. And that's also something expressed beautifully uh, in the movie. And one of the things I love how you guys handle is looking back in history to really understand how did we get to where we are right now? And the way you treat you know some of the scientific and Uh, advances in the chemistry arena, especially by Fritz Haber. Mm -hmm. Um, And and he was responsible for developing some really nasty substances that were used by the Nazis in the gas chambers for example. Um, And how that that pre-World War II and post-World War II legacy, including the Cold War policy here in the United States around chemical industrial agriculture in the 50s, 60s and onward Uh, that that really is the backdrop and the context uh, for how we got to where we were today and you know I've been uh, digging into this for a while as well and it struck me that you know on some level I kind of get after speaking with folks like my grandfather who fought in World War II that you know those were really scary decades the 50s and 60s the world had become nuclear and we were in this great uh, battle between the Soviets and the West and it, it was a scary time and and so I, I can have some understanding why some of our policies around food as a foreign policy tool uh, were developed. Nevertheless, we're clearly at a point now where uh, these, the logic that may have led to those decisions no longer uh, has validity. And yes. I, I want to just acknowledge what a great job you guys did with the history. And I was curious if there was anything there you thought we ought to pull out for the audience here in our conversation.
1: Well, Aaron, actually, I would I would prefer to mention more of what was left out. I encourage yeah. people to watch the film, but because yeah. you have the chance to watch the film, and you won't necessarily have the chance to hear me tell you what I think was left out is, and we're we're significantly adjusting and editing for it in the education cut, but Indigenous place-based knowledge, as I mentioned before, is so crucial. And it's not just crucial for the compartmentalized information, if you will. It's almost just as crucial in the cultural views. In most people's theory of change, views dictate actions and actions dictate the outcomes of the world. So what Aaron was laying out is the Major, major industrial agricultural phenomenon that came out of World War II led into the, the quote unquote Green Revolution so systematically changed our world and gave credit and perpetuated Western dominance or Western thinking or obedience to what college educated white men say around the world in white lab coats as legitimate information. And, oh, if it's coming out of Harvard, oh, if it's coming out here, this is the new idea that everyone in agriculture should do because they studied it and this is how it should be done. Let's, oh, wow. And it just so happens that nitrogen fertilizer is also in the mix. So we're getting major increases in our crop production, leading to the ability to feed the world in a way that never materialized before. So those views got pretty cemented very quickly. If you think about the time... that's not very much time went by. And very quickly we went from smallholder farmers all over the world, managing, using organic material, trying to use manure, trying to have their cow benefit their other things. And like they're trying to work with inside of what would more be like biodynamic system. Like it's all one system. I'm trying to manage this the best I can. So it's somewhat regenerative to depending on chemicals and depending on getting bigger and depending on, all of these economies of scale, exports, all these things, all of a sudden that's prep, propping up a view of the mechanic, mechanical view that we're living in the world today. And if we go down that, it's not, I don't have time to go into all the particulars of it, but the actions that are now leading from that and the outcomes is what Aaron mentioned is like, that doesn't really fit anymore based on how degraded our world is. Yeah. We can't keep going that way. It's kind of like our education system. It's like that was made up in the 20s so that, or or even earlier, so that kids would go into the factory and work. Like, that's not our world. And what are we doing? Why are we educating our kids so that they go into work in the factory? It's not what they do anymore. Why are we educating them to do that? It's kind of the same thing. Like we went into this big boom called nitrogen fertilizer and big machines. And now we're saying that's caused destruction at the rate of 30 million acres a year farmable land is being too degraded to use anymore even when it's propped up with chemical fertilizers or pesticides. So that's the rate. That's nearly the size of England, which is 32 million acres. So that's how much land we're using, losing every year based on this industrial model. But one thing to remember too, most of the world that's degraded has been degrading steadily and quickly with organic agriculture. The Middle East wasn't doing heavy nitrogen fertilizer and big machines. It was a brittle environment. It was a place where very little rainfall for certain periods of time. That means that you can degrade that system and have it turn into a desert much quicker than if you disrupt the land in northern, northeastern New York. It'll turn back into a forest if you just don't mow your yard. That doesn't happen. When you overgraze until land in, in certain parts of the Middle East or whatever, they're going to stay brittle and it's going to turn into a desert. So this is where when we're managing land systems, we have this opportunity now to shift culture, v- cultural views. And this is what I, to tie back to what I was saying a second ago, is our views that have been pushed on us by Western-dominated chemical sales, uh, industrialization, modernization of, of how we're distributing food, the, the, whole, the whole cacophony of it, culturally, where can we look back and say, what are we valuing? Where's our connection to Mother Earth? Where's our cultural interpretation of our role as stewards? And this is where sometimes we look at like some, some of the Native American cultures, for example, or what was happening in Hawaii, where people are like, this is literally what we're on the planet to do is to steward the earth. Ha ha. Yeah, that's crazy. Like, yeah, that's nice and ha ha, airy fairy. But like, no, what if we were actually thinking like that? And that's where it's more than just practically scientifically. What if we change our cultural story of what we're supposed to do from consumers and big houses to like, are we helping the world? like some of these cultures that's embedded in who they're supposed to be as a person. And that's where to me, we have to legitimize that and bring that story up because the story we're living in right now, we're all going to perish real quick. Mm. But these, some of these more ancient indigenous culture stories actually have validity in creating regenerative systems. If you look at Hawaii, for example, it's like everyone's objective as a person, like you're going to help steward this land so it's hydration is better so we get more fertile lands like that's part of your objective as a man or woman in life or or, or not neither you know like that's a different story so that's where i think it's so important that we don't discount it all it's not just information it has to be about how people are thinking of themselves as part of their identity
0: it's it's yes spot on I, i love that Finian and uh uh, with a uh, some of my heritage being with the Mohawk people of upstate New York actually which gets a lot of rainfall there.
1: that's that's um, from Ithaca New York
0: okay know. yeah yeah that that culture has uh, the the original instructions exactly that teach us how to live as as stewards in reverence and working with these regenerative forces with nature and that's so embedded in many of the indigenous cultural lifeways around the world and and one of the things we can do is engage more with those, celebrate those more and support 100%, uh, yeah. those cultures and, and communities even more. And I love hearing about it. And I also love how you guys show the regenerative power in the time-lapse uh, photos and videos on, on the Loess plateau in China. This is with John New's work. And, uh, you know, a few weeks ago I had the opportunity to interview Judith Schwartz with her new book, Reindeer Chronicles. And she also, Uh, discusses extensively uh, John's work on the Los Plateau, And it is is such a potent uh, example of what's possible in these brittle and uh, desert regions. And I'm overjoyed knowing, Finian, that uh, in our own lifetimes, we may be witness to this incredible greening up of uh, and restoring of the fecundity and fertility of this planet Mm-hmm. And uh, John's, John's work is, is just an, a tremendous example of what's possible.
1: Yeah, check out ecosystem restoration camps. People can get involved in individual camps. I was just on the phone with Judith, Judith last week. She's connecting me with the decade of ecosystem restoration folks, and we're now working with them on monitoring stuff. It's a long story. Um, yeah, I just wanted to emphasize the, the work in the Last Plateau for me um, was just so important to include in the film because we have to have people see the vast potential, the vast opportunity when we look at degraded land there. And when I remember I talked about the pathway for building the soil and the plant is just taking carbon that's sitting in the atmosphere, doing nothing, but causing destruction. That's the pathway. When we look and we put the glasses on, just imagine you put the glasses on and all of a sudden you see the last but up, flip them up and it's desert. I want people to start looking and saying, wait a minute, I see this desert, but then I see regeneration as a possibility. Mm. And that to me is the change of human consciousness collectively. Yes, it's based in so many indigenous cultures, but collectively, can we wake this sleeping giant called the force field of what humans are in right now and wake them to the possibilities. And that's what kiss the grounds mission is awakening people to the possibilities of regeneration. And one of the ways that I do that and I'm most passionate about is giving access to anyone, whether you're in a position of decision-making or university student or in a business or a farmer or anybody. I say this movement is like the dot-com era in the early nineties. Like it's about to go big. If you want to get involved, do it. I was, I was a touring musician. Like, I don't know what your thing was. Like I, I wasn't involved with this at all. I hear, I heard that there was, I, you know, saw in a four hour lecture that there was a possibility that the future wasn't going to be as dire as I thought it was going to be if we did something. So I dedicated my life to it and I want to invite people to that. And what I've personally done and kiss the ground has done is we've created soil advocate training as one of our first prominent tools for people to say, okay, put me in coach. I'm going to learn. I'm not going to spend seven years making slideshows or learning all this give me the information, get me in the game. I want to start being an advocate on any level that I can. And that's where we took uh, our stewardship program is really designed and our soil advocate training is designed to do that. Uh, And it's available now for anyone all over the world, starting any point, you can go to kiss the ground.com to check that out. But that's really one of my areas that I'm so passionate about is can we get thousands, if not millions of people who you don't have to have known this. You don't have to know the science, just start where you are, start your learning curve today. And two years from now you'll be, or even next week, you'll be helping this movement in ways that you never thought possible because you know, you start, you, I don't know when you're exact on road with this, but for me it was eight years ago. And just based on the, the knowing that I could be of some assistance, yeah. that was it. Me and Rylan being like, we can help, we could help this we can probably help. That's all we need is just a little spark to say, I can probably help. And you can, and that's where we're right now. We're on the precipice of a global movement and we need your help. So jump in and we're, we're here to help you. Yeah. That's what we're here to do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Beautiful. Finian. And, uh, you know, before we wrap up in our conversation today, and I appreciate you taking the time to visit with me and and with our why on earth community audience, um, there were two things in the, in the movie that I just got such a chuckle out of. And one is of course you guys uh, worked with Woody Harrelson to uh, have as a narrator through the experience, which was just wonderful. And uh, I love toward the end when he turns and addresses us each in the audience directly to the camera and uh, gives us that, uh, that invitation, that, um, exhortation if you will to action and of course i was also uh, just chuckling at some of those outtake uh uh little clips that you show when the credits are rolling out there at venice beach that was it was kind of funny and kind of amazing so and i just and sad at the same time <laughs> well, a little sad but yeah a little levity i encourage uh when when folks when you do go and watch the movie make sure you uh sit and enjoy the credits because there are some uh, bonus uh experiences there for you. And uh, yeah, Finian, it's great uh, visiting with you today. I really appreciate all the work you're doing and making all this available uh, for us. And before we sign off, is there anything else you'd like to share with us in general and or any you know message for the Why on Earth community in particular?
1: Well, first, I'd love to thank the community. Um, I, I've seen a lot of what Aaron's doing and, and what this community's up to. I want to thank everyone for participating in, in how you are. And it's, it's incredible to me that the future is unwritten in such a big way. And I've never felt more hopeful. And one of the crazy outcomes of COVID is that people's availability to thinking and, and taking on new ideas, new views, new actions is heightened. So I want to encourage everyone to make a decision make a commitment that you're going to play bigger. And I, the promise I give you is that you will find more meaning in your life. If you do, you will, you will be rewarded with contribution because it's, it's the gift that we want to give to future generations. I have no question about it is a regenerated world with abundance and water and the ability to not be living perpetually in, in a state of fear as as many of us have so thanks everyone kiss the ground is a is a vast resource i could just go on and on about what's on our website and stuff but check it out take the the find your path is really designed for for you to cater to yourself of what your interests are and start to seek that out um yeah take your film your friends to watch the movie set up a screening uh get involved with policy oh there's a new, a new page we just came out with it's called soil policy action us it's a us-based policy action website. So people who are interested in policy, you can uh, message your representatives to get them involved or connected to the regenerative ag soil health movement as well. Uh, and if you know farmers, send them to the soil the Regen Ag 101 course from, from Soil Health Academy. Uh, that's just available on our website now. So thanks, everybody. It's
2: been a pleasure. And thank you, Aaron, for all the work you've been doing.
0: You bet, Finian. And thank you. It's been great visiting with you.
2: The Why on Earth Community Stewardship and Sustainability podcast series is hosted by Aaron William Perry, author, thought leader, and executive consultant. The podcast and video recordings are made possible by the generous support of people like you. To sign up as a daily, weekly, or monthly supporter, please visit whyonearth.org support. Support packages start at just $1 per month. The podcast series is also sponsored by several corporate and organization sponsors. You can get discounts on their products and services using the code YONEarth. all one word with a Y. These sponsors are listed on the whyonearth.org backslash support page. If you found this particular podcast episode especially insightful, informative, or inspiring, please pass it on and share it with a friend whom you think will also enjoy it. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for your support. And thank you for being a part of the Why on Earth community.